becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the is a dream that you to make real. Passing over the songs, glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. Cheers. Awesome. To the shores. To the shores. I love it. Yeah, I'm actually uh, somewhat optimistic right now. I know. The the levity in your face is, is yeah. bringing me some calm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, there's, I think there's more. It's like, you know, whenever anything first, you know, from COVID uh, to uh, the stuff with Floyd and uh, everything we've kind of gone through over the last like three or four months, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of sometimes you need time and, um, space to kind of bring some perspective. Yeah. And it's like when you're in the middle of something, sometimes it's really hard to gain a a ground of kind of like what is happening. And, uh, I, I'm very optimistic over the next couple of months of being able to kind of, uh, see where we are, you know, I mean, as we're starting to see, there's a lot of questions right now with the uh, COVID numbers rising yet. The death toll is percentage wise going down. Right. Uh, what does that mean? We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. I'm not making any statements on that, but, uh, it's just more of like, I feel like over the next couple of months where we're, we're going to better see where we are and make, hopefully make some more and more informed decisions on stuff. And I also feel that as a business too, like, hmm. you know, coming to the end of, <clears throat> a lot of the PPP stuff and um, EIDL. Uh, P- oh, those uh, were the, the government programs. Yeah, government yeah. programs. That's starting to kind of uh, roll, kind of come to an end. Uh, you know, we've been working on a lot of stuff, just working, my team and I have been working on just our asses off on a lot of stuff just to try to keep keep us going. And uh, But all those things are starting to get like into the pipeline. You yeah. Know? So, so that's really exciting. We, we do have a lot of, a lot of work ahead of us. I think there's a lot of work and it's not like it's going to be easy, Yeah. but I don't know. The more people I talk to and the people we listen to also, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of clarity coming around a lot of these issues and, um, ideas and that, and again, but that's part of it is like, there's, is being able to deal with the unknowns, but also to take, take into consideration the things that we do know and I, I, I feel, and again, I don't think this is something that is widespread right now. I think, but I see, I feel like I see, like, it's like whenever August comes, Allison always gets mad at me because I go, oh, the heat is broken. Hmm. She's like, no, it's still fucking hot. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but. But, it's, but we've reached a point. Yeah, yeah. we've reached the, uh, and I don't think we've really reached the point yet. Yeah. But again, it's like, you know, come August, there's this place that, you know, in Austin, Texas that you're like, Okay we know at this point it's going to come to, it's going to start kind of decreasing, you know, you know, it's still in the hundreds and nineties and all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that I feel quite as positive as you do, but I noticed something, I think it was yesterday, either yesterday or today on Twitter. I've become an avid Twitter reader (laughs) over the last several months. (laughs) Well, I just find that it, it's a very toxic place. It's a very negative place. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually think, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I made an observation to you a while back. I think it was when the COVID stuff started. Maybe that's when I started reading Twitter because I was just like desperate for information, you know, because yeah. we're in this cloud of confusion. And I had made an observation to you that like 
you go read, uh, oh, I think I had read one of uh, Mayor Adler's statements and he tweeted it and all the responses were like hyper negative, very mm-hmm. like toxic, like screw you Adler, get out of office, we hate you, you're Damn. a piece of shit. Like it was all really <laughs> negative. He posted the same, actually a, a picture of the tweet to his Instagram uh-huh. and all the comments were very <clears throat> positive. Hmm. Um, thank you for your strong leadership. Uh, you know, we're going to get through this and I'm generally more of an Instagram person. And maybe that's part of the reason is that Instagram does tend to be a pretty positive place. Hmm. Twitter's a pretty, a pretty negative place. Um, but Twitter does feed you a lot of information very quickly in real time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've been reading it a lot and, um, I noticed a shift in the tone. Hmm. So, I don't know if it's worth giving a specific example, but um, I, I just noticed that people people had been very sincerely and seriously going after ideas, um, taking these ideas seriously, trying to understand them, even ones that seemed just wildly uh, wildly off base. Hmm. Um, and then I noticed that there was a shift where people kind of stopped taking some things seriously and just started making fun of it. Hmm. And there was this, it's still in a nasty way, like making fun of things in in Uh kind of a a gross way. But that shift, that break from like the taking of something serious, uh, as serious into being able to make fun of it. I think that's actually like a really natural progression um, for understanding and accepting and mainstreaming ideas. Hmm. Um, Is first they seem very confusing. And then the confusion starts to break, but the clarity isn't there yet. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of poke fun of it and you make fun of it. I mean, I think we see the same progression in like teenagers that start to like each other and date. It's Mm -hmm. like at first they just won't even talk to each other and then they start poking fun of each other Mm -hmm. and then they actually start to get to know each other. Mm. Um, So that I took that as a good sign. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, It reminds me of uh, Victor Frankl's too. Like, you know, when you first go into the, when you first went to the concentration camp and how people encounter that. And then they kind of, at some point, kind of form a little bit of like you know you know dark humor you know mm. and it, it kind of helps you cope with yeah you know the world around you and you know it's like you need to kind of have a little bit of levity in in how you encounter the world because it is it is really a difficult place it's true and i don't think i don't even <clears throat> think it's like levity is something that we that like gets put across the aisle from the difficulty of the world. It's not like we use it as a way to cope with the difficulty of the world. I think we actually use it as a way to understand Mm. the difficulty of the world. Yeah. I mean, satire is a very important, um, uh, device Mm -hmm. for understanding to be able to characterize something, to caricature it. Yeah. It's really an, it's an important part of, um, what is the word? I don't know. Psychologically coming to terms with things. No, it makes sense. I mean, like I, I think even like with, you know, the really great comedians, you yeah. know, it's like they are able to help us laugh at ourselves as well as a lot of things that are uncomfortable to laugh at, you know, but, uh, it kind of brings things to the surface and, and in an uncomfortable way, yeah. but it's sort of like, Oh, <laughs> oh. I, I think they tend to be <laughs> at the forefront of our cultural understanding of issues. Mm-hmm because they're able to show them to us in a way that we can't look at mm-hmm. directly. Yeah. We have to see it through the lens of something else we already understand. 
often something else we already understand to be absurd, mm-hmm. to see the absurd parts of this thing we don't want to look at. And that gives us some framework to start investigating what's worth investigating. <laughs> totally. And it's like, if you're a good comedian, then <clears throat> nobody leaves that nobody leaves the place without having been offended. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's right. like great comedians basically like kind of like everybody leaves with something like they're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Well, that's kind of true about me. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I think that's something great. I think Chappelle does a great job of that and Rogan and, uh, you know, but then you have comics like, uh, <clears throat> uh, Jim Gaffigan, you know, where he just kind of like, everyone just kind of, you know, like, it's, it's kind of a feel good, you know, it's like you kind of get the escape of the reality of the world, you know, a little bit through him. Yeah. And so he kind of provides, I think a different type of comedy. I don't know. I don't know how to qualify that. And I think I've heard people talk about it a lot more eloquently than I can, Yeah. but he's kind of like, I mean, cause he does make fun of, cause I mean, he has five kids, which I identify with. <laughs> and, uh, when he's been with big families, three, four, it's five, crazy. <laughs> you know, and, and eating is his thing. So, uh, I don't know. He's just kind of really a fun, a fun person to listen to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you were talking earlier about the confusion, um, of all of these things. And like, maybe we're coming through some of it. Yeah. Um, I, I had run across this, uh, this article. I wanted to read you a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by Jeremy Philosoph. He published it on the website, newdiscourses.com. And just, uh, it's a really good article, but what the article's about is irrelevant. This quote though, at the end was, we as a populace are overreacting in haste to highly interpretive narratives around circumstances that we do not fully understand and seem not to want to fully understand. Hmm. It is crucial we take our st- a stand for setting the records straight. That hit me like yeah. one of the most, one of the clearest diagnoses of what I see when I look around because there's so many things to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's pretty easy to sort of characterize the last couple of months or name it to say, you know, since George Floyd mm-hmm. and that's sort of, everybody understands all the things we've been dealing with, but there's mm-hmm. so, so many things. Um, so many issues, so many incidents. Uh, and it does seem to me like that quote seemed to nail the things that all of this, these things have in common Yeah, is that we are, we are dealing with highly interpretive narratives around surrounding circumstances that we don't fully understand and, and we don't seem to want to. Mm. And I also think that that's understandable. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't want to understand them. We just want to feel what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably important. Yeah. Um, but I also think we will move into a place of understanding. It's just, it just take to your point earlier, it just takes time. Mm-hmm takes time. Well, I think that's our thing too. Like we're talking about naming, which is interesting. So, you know, whenever we say, you know, COVID-19, you know, it's like, there's this whole flood of emotions and how they, how you personally experienced that, you know, it's like whether you're a business person, whether now you have to work at home, whether you lost your job, you know, lost uh, a family member, lost a family member. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know, or you're in, in poor health, and so you have a real concern because you know mm-hmm. people in poor health have a, have a have a higher uh, risk of mortality or of death, and um, so like so that so just that name 
when you say that, it carries so many different narratives with it. And, and it's hard to say, like, you know, you know, what that is for each individual, you know, like I've, I've, I've seen where, you know, people are just so deathly afraid of it, you know, yeah. and other people who are a little bit, you know, uh, the whole spectrum all the way to like, oh, this is no big deal, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the flu right. or something like right. that, you know, it's like, so you have this whole spectrum of how people are experiencing that, um, that idea or just in other outside of just actual disease, COVID-19, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, so I think I find it fascinating or even like, you know, with George, George Floyd, it's like, you know, that's a, that's a, a thing that happened, you know, and, and like what that means to you has, has a, has a whole huge breadth of thing. It's like, you kind of have like where, you know, I think, I feel like most people are, is like, wow, that was a really horrible situation, you mm-hmm. know? But from that horrible situation, just like it just spans off and spider webs into so many different things. Um, so it's, so it's fascinating to kind of learn. I feel like over the last month or two is like, or month and a half, I guess it is, um, like what that has meant to different people, you know, and what that has also drawn up for them in their own experience. Right. Um, you know, whether good or bad, you know, it's like, there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, uh, spectrum of things there. So, yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny, like how something like that can just, cause at first is like, you know, like, I, you know, I think when something first happens, it's like, there's sort of a shared narrative, you know, like, I feel like what I heard across the aisle was just like how horrible the situation that was, you know, but then as that narrative sort of like opened up and then people were expressing that in different ways, it started to kind of like, you started seeing the complexities around more of the effects or what that had kind of like drawn people or the things that had drawn to people's consciousness or forefront, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, I, I don't want to go too far on this, but like, you know, I, I was just thinking about like when I first met, you know, Matt, it was like, you know, when I first met you, it was a very simplistic idea of who Matt was or is. And then as I got to know him and we had experiences and our kids got to know each other and you knew my wife and it was like, it was like that the complexity of that relationship started to grow. And so like, and my understanding of Matt was tied through a lot of different parts and pieces and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I think that's why I'm also optimistic in a general sense is because the complexity is starting to reveal itself. Yeah. I think that when when something like the George Floyd incident occurs um, that affects every human in the same base way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same, um, you know, maybe with 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's like we all felt this base level in the pit of our stomach. How could that have happened? Mm-hmm absolute disgust mm-hmm. um, it unites us mm-hmm. and, and, and that that national unity around a feeling immediately is becomes sort of gas on a fire and we don't quite know what to feed that fire immediately but mm-hmm. we know it needs to be there and so all so the complexity starts to multiply exponentially mm-hmm. and you know it's like um it becomes about everything becomes about that. Mm -hmm. And George Floyd becomes, 
the symbol of it Mm -hmm. in our minds and the name of it. And after a while, you start to figure out that the complexity that has built up underneath that symbol has outgrown the original symbol itself. Mm -hmm. And so I think we are, we can use that symbol appropriately, but at some point we've got to start saying, okay, that symbol really only applies to this part. And Mm -hmm. these other parts now need their own names. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to look at these things um, separately with more um, rigor, with more rigor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that it's been possible to do that quite yet. Um, Which is honestly why I think, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, policy decisions that are being made are, are, are being made in haste and, and, and mostly falling flat, mm-hmm. you know, um, because they're trying to solve a problem that hasn't been very well defined yet. Yeah. At least it's still wrapped up in so many other things. Mm-hmm. We haven't been able to look at things quite clearly yet, but I think, you know, trying to bring that into this idea of naming, I mean, naming is really, really important. Um, and it, it carries value because it is symbolic. Mm-hmm. And at certain times we have to decide what, what no longer fits under that name. Yeah. Well, I mean, also it's fascinating to see like, you know, like you gave the nine eleven example, you know, it's like through that example, like policemen and firemen and first responders were our heroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like these people like had no, um, uh, no concern for their life and they were going into fires and into like horrible dust and all kinds of stuff trying to help and, and do good things you know and you know you still I think that's the hard thing about with this is like you know you kind of see there's some things that are being demonized like you know and again I, I feel like this is just some people using this instance in a, in a more negative way, you know, like all cops are bastards, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, man, it's not true. It's like most cops, most, most of the things that are said against like, uh, reported against cops are from other cops. You know, it's like, they're one of the ones that report. And so it's like, it's like, you know, cops are also like, I know quite a few cops and it's like, it's like, they want things to be good. You know, it's like, they don't want this corruption and stuff like that. It's like, they didn't sign on for that. And, you know, to put a percentage on that, I couldn't, I couldn't really do, but. Well, I mean, I think this is what I'm talking or I'm trying to get at is that when you have a, a uniting narrative or, or a uniting incident, the natural response is to cast a narrative that consumes, that, that everything in the world can fit into mm-hmm. because we're all united and so everything has to make sense in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so we make these broad sweeping declarations, um, Maybe the nine eleven is a good comparison because in nine eleven all cops were heroes. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, um, because they did a really good thing. All right now with COVID is like all, like all of our nursing and stuff like that. They're yeah. all heroes, you know, which is right. really cool. Well, but like in nine eleven, you know, the stories we didn't hear quite so much, but I guarantee you occurred, is that there were cops that turned and ran away mm-hmm. because some people are cowards. Yeah. Um, so, no, not all cops are heroes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same here. But we're doing the same thing because we are united around something. And, and in this case, um, a sweeping declaration was made. And it came out of this, uh, 
broad classification within the early throes of trying to describe what this symbol stood for. Mm-hmm. And all cops are bastards <clears throat> is, is absolutely not true. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people clearly support that statement. I, I have a much harder time supporting that statement than I would have supporting all cops are heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, f- just factually, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too is like, I mean, it's also how you approach something too. Is like, I mean, I was always taught to, to, to look for the best in people until they prove otherwise. Yeah. You know? And so, so if I meet somebody the first time, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know? And I think that was something that was ingrained in me, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's one of the ideals of this country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually. I mean, we were talking about that last week. I think, what, how did we say it? That, that, every person you deal with, you're actually, you're dealing with a prototype of a sovereign being mm-hmm. not dealing with that person directly and who they are. You're dealing with who they could be. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a generous interpretation. Like even right. in our conversation right now, we're talking about like, it's funny even saying like, not all cops are bad. It's like, I can see how that can be interpreted as like, Oh, well you're part of the blue crew or something like that. It's right. like, that's like, I'm, I'm tired, I'm tired of those sort of like overarching statements that try to put you in the categories where you can't have a nuanced position of saying like, Hey, you know what? Not all cops are bad. Well, this is the problem with, with terms that become semantically overloaded mm-hmm. is that they become within this messy, ill-described narrative symbols become placeholders for things for way too many things at once. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I feel like the black, the the black lives matter movement is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Um, because when you say, when someone says to you, black lives matter, are are you to take that as the sentiment Mm -hmm. as the movement Mm -hmm. or as the organization? Mm -hmm. Because those are three very, very different things. And there's probably like a, three or four more elements to that too. But yeah, just keep with that. Right. And in order to sort of like, yeah. So if you say, I don't agree, all cops are bastards. You fall on a certain side of the symbol, which is already semantically overloaded. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes time, you know, and and maybe this sort of like comedy and levity is something that allows us to start to do that. Mm -hmm. So if there's a comedian can sort of make a good joke that makes us see that the truth, that there is truth in the statement. Yeah. There is valid feeling in the statement, but it's also not absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Um, And to separate that, then we can start to say, Oh, there's actually two things here Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with. It's not just one, it's two. Mm -hmm. And then maybe it's not two, maybe it's five. And we can start to separate those out and start to have a more sophisticated, nuanced conversation about those things. But as long as we're dealing with these symbols that are very widely defined, it's very difficult. And and I think it's like you end up having to tiptoe around things because Mm -hmm. I don't even, I mean, I didn't even want to say the words black lives matter earlier Mm -hmm. because as soon as I say it and you hear me, you evaluate the voice of my, the tone of my voice, Mm -hmm. you make a judgment about me about where I fall on Eight, 18 different issues. Yeah. And that's just not, that's not a productive way to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not very uh, <clears throat> generous in, in, in a conversation to, right. to make those judgments, that, you know, especially like it would, should be followed by a question or something. Um, yeah. And I guess since we're here, I, I'll just say that the, that black lives matter mm-hmm. period. 
Mm-hmm. That statement is true, and I don't know anybody who disagrees. Yeah. The, the movement itself, I think, has so many wonderful things as a, that are a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely gotten out of control in some places for reasons that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the organization is something I absolutely cannot get behind. Yeah. It's very confusing. <laughs> it just doesn't seem confusing to me. It's, well, it yeah. seems like they have co-opted this phrase that everybody agrees with mm-hmm. in order to sneak some other agenda in. Yeah. And, and when I read the agenda, I don't agree with any of it. Yeah. But it's hard. It's like we're not even, I don't even feel like we're at a place yet where people are ready to, to, to separate. Yeah. Um, but maybe... I was, so I just did. <laughs> yeah, that's what you just did. Well, I think that's the thing. I think I think we're moving into nuance more. I don't think we're there yet, yeah. but I think that is something that that will be needed and will be coming. Uh, and I'm so already starting to see a lot more people kind of look at things a little bit more broadly, a little bit more generously. Um, and I, I think that it's not going to be quick, you yeah. know. Um, because there's a lot of things that we really, in order to really solve problems, you know, it's like, we do have to get into, you know, uh, I mean, Martin Luther King said, you know, it's like, you got to gather your facts first, you know, and negotiate and then do self purification Mm. and then action. And I think, I think he really, I mean, I think that's why, can you pull up those four steps? I feel like we didn't get to that last time. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was basically it, but, um, wasn't there a fourth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was action. But gather the facts, self-purification. Uh, negotiation. Negotiation, action. Yeah, so here it is. Uh, collection of the facts to determine whether injustice injustices are alive. Negotiation, self-purification, direct action. And these are really, I mean, it's like really, I mean, you have to gather the facts and say, okay, what are the facts here? And that's a very, it's a very unemotional and um, detached way of, but it's also, it's, it's kind of a sobering way to look at uh, a very complex situation. And I like the part of negotiation because mm-hmm. I think there's a part where through negotiation, you start to, you start to test out those facts, yeah. you know, so that sort of like dis, uh, disembodied aspect and dis an unemotional part, you start to engage in it with other people in this negotiation, which the emotional part does come into that, but it also tries it as if like in fire to see whether those things are actually true. And someone's going to challenge you on that and maybe passionately challenging you on that. And I think that's why his third step of self purification is so valuable. It's like, where am I in this? And something that for him specifically was, does this come from love? Mm-hmm. Like that was a huge part of him is like, am I acting in love? Do I love my enemy? If I view this person as my enemy, am I showing this person, you know, respect and love? You know, I think that's why he was such a uh, proponent of the nonviolent movement yeah. and how hard it was. Can you go into this in such a way that you're going to change people's minds, but you're going to, you might cause, harm might be caused to you, but you're yeah. not going to retaliate, you yeah. know, or revenge or whatever it might be. And then the, then you have direct action. That's so powerful because you're centered in that aspect of love and not viewing your enemy as somebody you hate, or you want to re- have revenge on, or you mm. want to kill or defeat. 
and that's the other thing too is like he talks about like uh uh like not defeating it says uh do not seek to to humiliate or defeat but to win friendship and understanding hmm. like that was a purpose a purpose of his is not to defeat somebody or humiliate them and again i think that's why that was such a powerful movement he unified people and he unified people across religious racial ideological yeah. i mean it's like so I feel like you see the power of that. And I think he, when he went to India and met, uh, I think it was Gandhi's uh, son or grandson, I forget what it was, and he was just so moved by what Gandhi had, Gandhi had uh, accomplished that uh, I feel like it kind of solidified that nonviolent aspect and the unifying aspect and not seeing your enemy as, a, as a, um, hmm. someone to be hated, you know? Why are we not seeing more of that now? I mean, I, I see very little narr- narrative around unity. Hmm. I think we're still defining it. I think we're still in the we're still in the part of defining and understanding the nuance. And uh, it's so easy to turn everything into a unidimensional problem. I mean, you think of Maya D'Angelo's uh, white fragility. You know, she brings Robin this, D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, she she really makes this such a simple problem. You know, it's like you're white, you're racist, and there's nothing you can do about it. The end. If you deny that, you're only it's a Kafka trap. It's proof. It's proof. Yeah, it's proof that you are. If you deny it, if but, you accept but my it, it's question proof is, that it is my question though is like, why are we embracing that? Why is a culture, is that the number one best-selling book? Because it seems so clear to me that that message is divisive. Mm-hmm. And, and whether it's true or not, mm-hmm. um, that all white people are racist. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's such an absurd statement that I don't even want to argue it. Um, yeah, it's not worth getting into. But even if that were true, mm-hmm. the message leaves no hope. No. And a message without hope can only be divisive and deadly. And so like, why, why are we in this divisive place? Like, where is the message of unity? Where's the message that actually defines even what success would look like here? I think it's easy. Like simple messages are so easy Hmm. to follow. You know, I think that's why like fundamentalism, you know, whether you're talking about Christian fundamentalism, uh, Islamic fundamentalism, you know, you take that all across the board in all sorts of areas. It's so much easier because you adhere to these tenets to the T and you spend your life trying to attain to those tenets. Hmm. It's so simple because there's not a lot of nuance. There's not a lot of gray, but when you're talking about a relationship, fuck, hmm. it's like, there's so much nuance, you True. know? And it's like, you think you see somebody a certain way. Like, I mean, even being married, I just had my anniversary last week, you know, or this week. It's like Alice and I just, even on our anniversary night, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I've been married to you 18 years and I still don't know you. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, that's fucked up. I mean, I like, I know her, but like, but I just, I think I just keep seeing new things about her that are just there's nuances that even after 18 years, I don't even have. Yeah. And it's messy and it's hard. Yeah. It's not like you have her figured out because she it's because it's not like she's a, or any person is a st- 
static <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> individual. It's like uh-huh. you can't press pause on a person and then like uh-huh. be able to capture all of who they are and be like, done, I got them. You know, mm-hmm. like, because the next second something else happens. And um, this reminds me of uh, this statement. So after after my divorce and, and uh, the the trial that we had to go to, um, was mandated by the judge. We both were to take a uh, co-parenting class. Mm. It's actually pretty cool because the city of Austin offers this class for free. This this man, I can't remember his name now, he felt like uh, co-parenting after divorce was a, a huge problem in the community. So he just like s- started this class and went to um, the courthouse and started talking to the judges and just said, I'm going to teach this class for free. You need to start sending people to me. <laughs> So cool. And so they did. And he was great. He said something that has changed my life in a lot of ways. But he said, your, your success in this situation. And I, I guess I'll, I'll, I will say, we did not take this class together. I, we, we took the class, on, my ex and I, on different nights. And so mm-hmm. I was in a room with a bunch of people who also were not with their exes. So I thought that was a really healthy way to handle um, you know, getting two people to take something after they've already legally separated. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he said, um, your success in this relationship depends on your belief in their belief in you. Mm-hmm. And it took me so long to make sense of that because it, it it's like, it, it it's like a, a recursive thought. Mm-hmm. It's like what I, what I believe about you, mm-hmm. Michael is largely based upon what I believe you believe about me. Oh yeah, totally. And so I'm responding, I'm interacting hmm. almost not so much with you, but with what I think you believe hmm. specifically about me. Yeah. Um, and so in my relationship with my ex, that helped me because I, I realized that I had control over the things that felt like they were out of control by working on what I believed they believed. Hmm. And if I could change what I believed that they believed, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I'm dealing with a different person. Yeah. Um, and we, you were talking earlier about <clears throat> the, the, what is the, the verse that we, we, we deal not with, we war not against flesh and blood. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like Ephesians six twelve or something like that. You know, I always, I always, um, growing up heard that verse and, and somewhat dismissed it because the conclusion is like, well, what are we warring against angels and demons? Like, (laughs) come on. Uh Um, but I really think it's true. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's angels and demons. Maybe it's fine to conceptualize it that way. But, um, you know, I think Peterson reframed that idea Mm. directly by saying, um, it's not clear whether or not people have ideas or ideas have people. Yeah. And this is the same thing as saying, what I believe that you believe mm-hmm. fundamentally changes the way that I behave. Yeah. So it's not dealing with you directly. It's dealing with what I think you believe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when we're dealing with complex people and complex situations, complex world events, complex belief systems, we assign, you know, potentially semantically overloaded symbols to these things. And we really are dealing with those more mm-hmm. than we're dealing with the people. Yeah. And the second that we find a trigger that p- 
put some like a statement. All cop. I I don't think all cops are bastards. And the yeah. person's like, oh, so you're a part of this symbol. <laughs> totally. It's like all of a sudden you're not dealing with me. Uh-huh. You're dealing with the symbol and what all that represents and everyone else you know that falls under that. And yeah. you know it's like now. And this is the whole reason why it's so morally wrong to judge the individual by the attributes of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in some ways it's un- unavoidable yeah. um, for the reasons I think that we, that I just outlined, but, but I think we've ho- hopefully learned that lesson that that is like making decisions on an individual based upon the group that they seemingly belong to, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to moral judgment is a very dangerous road. Yeah. Especially when we're dealing with the complexities of people, you know, it's like, you can hold a lot of different viewpoints, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to necessarily fall into all the category of that, whatever your, whatever that person might put you in or define you as, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, <clears throat> I think that's, I think it's a hard thing to, to deal with and work. Cause I, I think it's also helpful to be able to have categories and things that you put people in, but it needs to be very loosely done. Like, okay, most people I know that kind of think that way usually fit in this place, but that should be followed by a question of like, Hey, well, what about this? And so then it it defines and nuances it. And then you can kind of like, I mean, I find myself all the time, like creating and defining new categories to kind of like judge and work my thing, work my way through. But it's not like it doesn't become narrow or actually becomes broader. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, as I get older, it's like, you know, whenever we're growing up, uh, I remember it was like, you know, you either were a UT fan or an OU fan. <laughs> like you fit in those two categories. Period. Every Period. single person. Exactly. Yeah. And then like, you know. And if somebody like doesn't even watch football, you're like, oh, well, you were a UT fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you yeah. had to be put in one of those right. two categories. And then, but as you grow older, it's like, oh, well, you actually like the Florida Gators. Well, that's kind of weird. Like that's like <laughs> one person out of like, you know, Amarillo, Texas. <laughs> Must like, be the only one. Yeah, <laughs> true. You know, so, so I think the complexity starts to, as you get older, you have to start dealing with complexity. Yeah. You have to revisit those <clears throat> categories that mm-hmm. have served you very well. Yeah. Cause it's very infantile, you know, yeah. to, to have small categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, that is the way that we grow up, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're an infant, there are two categories there. There is safe and unsafe yeah, totally. known and unknown mm-hmm. and known starts with your mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then this other guy, then this other guy, it's like, you don't know what to think about him. It's like, we've had babies. We know that our babies don't like us all that much for quite some time, (laughs) you know, then they kind of like become a little complacent. Like, I guess you can hold me as long as I'm like not hungry or hot or like have a dirty diaper. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's not till like what, five or six that all of a sudden they're like, wait, I think I kind of like you. Uh No, I would have to say with every one of my kids, I mean, obviously it was not like definitively but by four it's like actually it was like i kind of went up to number two you know from like number mm. four or five but you like, upped your game i got i got up to like number two like mom was always number one yeah but, um uh yeah it was just like it was it was really interesting like four to five was like that sort of it seemed pretty you know in my mind anyways definitive so. yeah there's a great um actually i hesitate to bring it up because i don't know that i can recall it well enough to make the point well but there's a great, um, <clears throat> in the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by, was it Piercing? <coughs> um, he talks about like, when you're trying to understand your life, it's almost as if you have this like box of sand 
Mm. And of all the complexity in life, all of it's there. And you, you kind of start pushing the sand into little piles here and there to make sense of things. Well, these things go over here. These things go over here. Sometimes you'll deconstruct each one and look at every grain and be like, so well, this one actually belongs over here. And, and this is the way that we make sense. This is an analogy he's making for the way that we make sense of the world. And he said, every once in a while, you, you, you read a, a great author or have a conversation with somebody or even see a piece of art or, or hear a song. Hmm. And it's as if somebody takes us, I think he uses the word scalpel or you know maybe stick or something. And they come and they just sort of make a couple quick slashes in your piles of sand. And your first thought is you ruined everything. Hmm. And then all of a sudden you look at it and you were like, Oh, I see everything completely different now. Yeah. I could, I didn't imagine these categories or these subdivisions of categories or these mm. groupings of things before. And, and you see the world totally different. Totally. And, um, I, I think that I would imagine that we've all experienced that to some extent in our life. We've read mm-hmm. something or had some conversation or some experience where all of a sudden we walk away and we're like, everything seems different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's definitely those characters, you know, even through, you know, that have those huge impacts, you know, even like good literature and stuff like that you were talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, I think I think Peterson like really had a huge impact on a lot of people. I mean, whether you agree with him or not, it's like it was it was really interesting to see him as a cultural phenomenal. Um, <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like I, with so much hoity-toity I? something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> <That's> awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, phenomenal. Oh, uh, you know, phenomenal. Oh, baby, oh. So I know you. <laughs> I feel like that cook in uh, the Muppets. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good character. But after I was making that really profound point, that was good. <laughs> I don't remember the point you were making either. now. Oh, well. Uh, but it was a phenomenal. Oh, Peterson is a phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I think, you know, Obama, like, just his, like, as a symbol was a huge symbol in mm-hmm. 2008. You know, I think that was, that was huge. Um, Václav Havel for the Czech Republic and mm-hmm. communism and uh, what was Czech, Czech, Czech Republic and then Czechoslovakia or Czechoslovakia then Czech Republic um, but as a symbol but he was also wasn't appreciated at first it wasn't until he was close to death or died that people really understood the symbol mm-hmm. and which is also really sad it seems like a lot of times we don't really understand the symbols until that symbol dies mm. you know um like I, I kind of wonder, like how much impact MLK being shot in that symbol became so much more powerful. I don't mm. know. I, 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 I I've been studying him recently and more and more, but uh, I, I'd be, that, that'd be one thing I'd be I'd be curious of. It seemed like he had a huge impact in his life, but I don't think as many symbols really uh, experienced that. Mm. Like I think of Jesus too, like as a symbol. You know, it's like you know, it was, it was after his death that it was like. And just spread across the the Roman world, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even Gandhi, like, I mean, how he affected, uh, you know, MLK too. I mean, it was just like it's like that symbol of Gandhi kind of projected itself into the future. Were they contemporaries? Was Gandhi alive in the sixties? Uh, I don't remember. Whenever he died, he seemed like he was. Golly. 
I think he might have died in the 40s or 50s. Sounds more right. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I got Google right here, so I'll do it. <laughs> well, I mean, that at some level makes sense because a symbol is only recognized as a symbol when it is sort of... 1948 is when he died. 1948. You know, it, once a symbol can in some way be, in some ways not be added to, mm-hmm. then it is seen as a symbol, at least culturally. Well, then you go back to the idea of naming too. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like what Gandhi did in um, his lifetime was really powerful. You know, but then after he left, or left, he left after he left this world, yeah. <laughs> when he died, you know, it's like that symbol continued to grow, and the meaning of that symbol continued to grow. In fact, it's interesting to see, like, you know, even like how the symbol of Gandhi even like kind of incorporated itself into MLK too. Hmm. You know, yeah, um, sort of like our forefathers and foremothers, how they like live on through us and our actions too. Yeah. Um, but it seems like, the, it seems like it's the life giving ones. It's like, you know, cause we think of like a, a Genghis Khan or a Hitler. It's like the death and destruction that they left in their path. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's a symbol that nobody really wants to <laughs> claim, you know, well, <laughs> or produces it, life. <laughs> but it's also important in some level to leave it around, mm-hmm. that it remains symbolic so that when we, so we can recognize when we're bumping up against it. Totally. You know, which is gets to another point of how then misusing symbols or too broadly, you know, it's like, I hear, I hear a lot of talk about how many different types of people are Nazis. It's like, that's just not healthy. No, that is a yeah. really, really abuse of that terminology. Abuse, not because it's unfair to the individuals that are being labeled that way. Mm-hmm. It, Although in some cases, certainly it may be, but that's not what, I, I think that's not what you mean by mm-hmm. when you say it's an abuse of it. It's, it's an abuse of it because we need it to retain yeah. its full power mm-hmm. so we know that it's over there. Yeah. So we know what to avoid. Mm-hmm. And once we start applying it in places where it doesn't apply, yeah. then we water that down and we forget, and we forget to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many... Uh, fantasy novels and stuff like that, that have that same idea as, uh, you know, whether it be Saruman or, or, um, I'll do Voldemort or something like that. It's like, there's these names that kind of get forgotten mm-hmm. or almost that they become mythology or, or watered down to where, you know, people don't really use that mythology in a way that, is helpful in like understanding how bad it could actually be, you know, um, when there are those symbols that have come through history that have done that, have done those things, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, even like in the United States, it's like, you know, slavery and you know, what all that, the impact it has had on the United States, you know, and, and then also our journey through that, you know, it's like, there's a sort of like, you know, overcoming in black America. And there's a lot of like, great people that talk about this a lot better than I can, but you know, there, it was just like really profound. And so there's that symbol of like overcoming, but then also, you know, the atrocities that did happen, you know? Um, but it's a symbol that again, but we need to have those around to remind us, you know, it's like, you know, you know, never getting rid of the Auschwitz. Hmm. We need to have those symbols to remind us of 
the capability that we can that we can actually and uh, uh, do to other people. Yeah. No matter what your religion is, whether it's your skin color is, it doesn't matter. It's like we are capable of that as a species. Right. Yeah. Brett made this great comment. It's like you know, early on our evolution, it's like we were very family oriented. You know, it's like anything outside of family were the enemy. You know. And at some point we started to learn to cooperate into larger groups, you know, and, and benefit each other, you know? Uh, and so we started to expand our definition of who is the enemy, you know, yeah. and just how healthy it is for us to continue to expand that definition mm. and to not restrict that definition to white or black or rich or poor, you know, it's like, yeah. um, I think what was his name? He got in a lot of shit this last week. I mean, I won't go into that, but, but also Victor Frankl puts it in the same way. He wrote man's search for meaning is like, there's good people and there's bad people. It's like, I'm on the yeah. side of good people. <laughs> yeah. He said, uh, that might be too binary, but uh, well, no, but he said it in a different way. I think, yeah. which is worth clarifying. Cause he said, um, there's only two races of, of people, hmm. decent and undecent. Oh, gotcha. And his observation was that, there is overlap in every group. Mm-hmm. So the most brutal abusers in the concentration camps were the Jews who were in prison there who were given special status by uh, the SS. Mm. Um, so it's like, it, it's, it's not even Jew versus German Aryan or SS versus mm-hmm. um, captor. Mm-hmm. The, the line of decent versus indecent that doesn't care about what group you're in. Yeah. And... Yeah, and I think you. He said, "I I choose decent. Yeah, I want to be I want to be a decent man." Mm-hmm. Totally. And again, I think that's why, you know, something with our constitution that's so amazing is like, you know, seeing the individual as a divine being, whether you you know believe in that, but the idea is that there's something unique and special about the individual. You know, that yeah. holds something that is truly set apart and so if we can see each other that way whether we agree with each other or not i feel like there's better chance of unity when we give somebody that dignity you know right um and we can sort of are generous to somebody and that's our that's our first default mode is not that all caps cops are bastard bastards are that hey i know what's inside me is the same thing that's inside you you know and and it's like, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you genuinely want what's best. Yeah. With the understanding, again, it's, you can't be naive and that there are people that are, do not want that. And for many, many reasons, and I, right. too many to go into right now, but I feel like we have to start from that standpoint, the generous standpoint of, I believe that there is good in you. Yeah. And I don't think there's any other, any other way, way to go. I mean, the other way of like expecting or interpreting somebody, the worst of somebody is, is probably, it just leads to disaster yeah, to genocide. If you want to go all the way that way, you know, or even worse, I mean, making moral judgments about people based upon uh, uh, immutable properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, what do you, what, what should we like, how come, how should we kind of like uh, wrap this wrap up? Wrap this with, one up? Yeah, we've kind of like 
I don't know. We kind of jumped into it pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this. You know, again, there's a lot of nuance in what we're saying, and, and uh, we're also kind of skirting the lines in a lot of areas here, but I, I feel like that's something I'm we want to do. I'm glad you're admitting that, that yeah. we're skirting the lines. It's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot here that we're careful to talk about or not talk about. Mm-hmm. Maybe actually for a lot of the reasons we outlined in this conversation. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just worth remembering that humans are very, very complex. Mm-hmm. And conversations are really complex. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I think we did want to, to recommend people uh, oh, that, that's right. that video. So Brett Weinstein uh, has a video out called um, Brett Weinstein Dark Horse, Dark Horse Podcast Roundtable Discussion. We'll put it in the notes. We'll put it in the notes. Um, I think we won't talk too much about no. what that conversation was. I think I'll just say that if you want an example of how to have a highly respectful, highly productive conversation between a large group of people who don't agree. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a better example. Of it that. was a great example. The nuance that they were allowing as well as challenging each other on yeah. was impressive. Like I just get chills just thinking about it. When you think about like any cable news network show where you've got five people sitting, everyone's talking over one another. You can't hardly understand what anybody's saying because they're all talking at the same time. Uh-huh. None of that here. Yeah. So respectful. So respectful. It, and intelligent. And, yeah. Wow. God, I love and to that. that point, I mean, the point I was making is like conversations are really complicated. They're, mm-hmm. they're difficult to have, especially when you're talking about really important things. Totally. Um, and to see people have a conversation in, in such a an impressive way like that was mm-hmm. very encouraging to me. Yeah. Um, so I feel a lot of hope in that. I feel a lot of hope that, that you know, maybe there is a shift happening mm-hmm. and maybe we are moving into making some more sense of things. And mm-hmm. I hope that we can remember that I think we've all, the presupposition should, I hope, be that whoever you are talking to, that is a good person Mm -hmm. until they prove otherwise. Yeah. And give them that benefit of the doubt. And in places where you don't know or understand, interrogate your your understanding. Mm. Interrogate what you believe that they believe before you decide that they are no longer good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's, it's important to remember we are all brothers and sisters. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a, a very helpful way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and we're also not a- advocating naivety. So it's it's something that is, you know, it's like we do have to make judgments. and But just I think it's important to do it very lightly. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're not ready for something, it's okay. That's like acknowledge that. You know, it's like, hey, I'm not ready for that conversation right now. Mm-hmm. And, and for that to be okay. And that to be okay. And even to tell somebody, it's like, hey, I don't think I can go there right now because I don't know really where I am at in that space. Yeah. And we need to allow that for people to, I think that's one thing with, in a lot of what's happening right now is people are requiring people to come into a certain agreement with, and they might not be ready for that, you know, or they might not agree with you, but they need to, they need to have some space to be able to think that through and, 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 uh, and we need to allow people to do that. Yeah. And the shaming, like, you know, I'm okay. I just go back to him. You know, it's like, 
shaming people is not helpful or healthy bottom line. Hmm. There's just, there's just no way around it. Um, you know, you know, winning friendship and, and loving people and allowing people their process and challenging people. And I think that's a real, that's a really huge thing to learn is how to challenge people without demeaning them and, and causing more harm. Yeah. Which I, I feel like, uh, I'm really excited about. I think that's why we also love this podcast and going out into those spaces where like we're talking about like dancing, dancing on the knife's edge of our understanding. Yeah, and absolutely. So it's challenging, but mm-hmm. I feel myself grow through it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And what better feeling is there than to grow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to wrap up with or tell people about? No. I don't think so. Not that I know of. Yeah. Reading a lot of great books. Matt and I are both reading Man's Search for Meaning. Allison, Matt and I. And yeah, that's probably why we've quoted yeah. Victor Frankl so many times tonight. <laughs> um, it's, it's, that's, it's been a, a life-changing book. It's, Guys, it's amazing. everyone needs to read this book. It's small and it's easy. True. It's, I, it's, it's like a mandatory top five. Yeah, I agree. Without a doubt. Hands yeah. down. Go pick I'm it right. up. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we love you. you. Love you too. Bye. 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 See you.